0: Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Rwandri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement.
1: We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis Grab and current pants. affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, okay. to 8.30am.
2: double.
0: Good morning. It is Wednesday the 12th of February. How are we all?
1: I'm I'm for one glad that you get to do the dates at the moment because you actually get them right. I usually <laughs> mess up the month and at times the years, even on occasion the day. So I'm doing one well of us can get it right. with that like orientation. <laughs> you know, it's like you start off that day with just knowing exactly where you are. And it's a yeah. good it's a good start. It's a nice feeling rather yeah. than being like it, it what, could be March, it could be today? January. <laughs> Absolutely. doing well and like I was just saying to Rob, but like, what a funky tune to bring us into the show. It is great. I like, don't think it needs changing ever.
0: No. I mean, like, there was just, there was this rumours that there might be changes. And I'm like, no, I think it's like, it's nice as it is. No,
1: it's got, a, it's got a, a pro- our producer giving a voiceover. Exactly. It's got a funky rhythm. It's got like, you know, some different vocals going on. And it's
0: like, it's a nice pick-me-up for 7am. It's a nice pick-me-up for 7am. Yeah,
1: Definitely. How are you feeling on the 7am? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling, like, it's been a busy week, but... Things are going well. I'm glad it's not too hot yet. Mm. Like February is generally my least favorite ah. month of the year.
1: I've just got like this picture of you being like, <laughs> like you know, just kind of me away from the sun, and I kind of right?
0: <laughs> I, I I have an un- I have a controversial opinion that summer is my least favorite season and ah. winter is my favorite season. Ah, yeah. I get a lot of hate for it, but. <laughs> I still stand by it. Mm, mm.
1: Yeah, well, y- you know, there's a lot of people... This is an age-old mm. argument to be had in the schoolyard. It you is. You know, which, which season's better. Yeah. I, I fall on spring. It's a nice And compromise. autumn. I like yeah. spring and autumn, because there's just, like, the, they're in the middle. Mm. I'm not sure about these extremes <laughs> on either side. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I find that like my dislike of summer is like it means I have a very personal vested interest in climate change because <laughs> I don't want it to get warmer.
1: I don't want it to get warmer. Yeah. So
0: my my entire career is dedicated to that. My entire life. So. Fantastic. It's very selfish of me.
1: I mean, it's selfish or practical, <laughs> or you know, survivalist somewhere in the middle. <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. shall we jump into today's show and then? also yeah. introduce sorry jump into today's what we're listening to today on today's show yeah and then we might also go into um a little Ugh what would we call it, subscriber drive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that this radio is going through. So we'll explain that in a moment. But yep. first up, what have, we what have we got on the got show? On the show?
0: Yeah. yeah, so at 7.15, we've got a recording from Over the Wall, which is another great 3CR program, and they'll be discussing with the National Security Rights Network on how those affected by the season's bushfires are able to access government payments and social services. Then at 7.30, we've got Crystal de Napoli, who is an indigenous astronomer. So she'll be speaking about some of the work that she's been doing in that space and what we can all learn in terms of her research.
1: Mm. Um, Coming back up, the next interview will be at about 8 o'clock. And it's actually with Rebecca from um, the Rainforest Action Group. And they'll be talking actually about uh, Solgold in northern Ecuador. So Solgold is an international mining... Sorry, an Australian mining company, actually, I believe. Mm. But internationally kind of merged with a few other groups. And um, like any narrative around this, been causing huge amounts of um, upheaval mm-hmm. in Ecuador and violence in Ecuador. So we're going to be getting like, the latest update on some of the protests that have been happening mm. in that region. And then we're finishing off, actually, with something pretty damn cool. Um, Javin Johnson's coming into studio. He's actually going to only be in the country for another day. Mm-hmm. So this is timely on my part. <laughs> um, and he's going to be coming in and talking about his recent paper called A Story of My Mother's Hands, Black Joy as Theory and Method. Mm-hmm. I'll leave him to give us the definitions and lay out what that is. But it's going to be a, a super cool talk. I was lucky enough to listen to him the other day. At this conference that he's in for Melbourne, as I said, for three days. Yeah, so what's the conference that you're at? The conference that uh, is currently going on mm-hmm. is Activism at the Margins. Mm-hmm. So 3CR has been covering it by, uh, there's been two of us, and we've just been going and recording sessions. So definitely, guys, like, listen out. You'll be hearing the audio. Mm, little, little segments. I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Work, so. um, on the station throughout, I'm sure, the next month, a few months. Uh, 'cause there was there's been a lot of brilliant thinkers, mm. and Javin Johnson was one of those ones which I heard and was like, You there. <laughs>
0: come on the show yes,
1: and he 's like oh, i'm i 'm leaving soon and I'm like, but you 're here Wednesday <laughs> so uh that will be fantastic and yeah, uh extremely personal narrative, yeah. but also like there 's some fascinating stuff to be learned and stuff like that, so that 's going to be finishing off our show yeah, that's great uh it's going to be kind of a quite an interesting show, quite a good show Mm-hmm. And epitomizes, as well, this next thing. Which is... the Subscriber, Subscriber Drive. Drive. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, the way I like to think about Subscriber Drive is uh, 3CR hosts kind of two main events throughout the year, and the other one, of course, is Radiothon in June, which is more of a fundraiser to... Keep, for the, keep techn- the lights on. Yeah, keep <laughs> the lights on. Keep the lights on, get new mics, that sort of really practical, technical stuff. But the Subscriber Drive is more about... Keeping the community going, mm. um, so we're whoever's kind of um, any presenters on three CR is our su- subscribers. So we all kind of give back into this community. Uh, but there's yeah, there's a lot of subscribers out there mm-hmm. who listen into their favorite programs. I don't know, on on Sundays or every breakfast or whatnot,
0: or online, whenever or you online, want
1: to. yep. And it just helps to contribute to not only supporting this radio station, but feeding back into the radio station. Mm. Uh, our producer the other day was chatting to me about it, and she was like, well... We need to, you know, we have a bunch of subscribers and community, and it's their station, so we want to hear their voices. Mm. And becoming a subscriber creates that kind of, uh, it comes, it kind of strengthens the connection with with the radio station, I'd say. Absolutely. Because you get to directly feedback your thoughts mm. and you know, what issues you want to hear, and you know, all that sort of really amazing community representation. Absolutely. Uh, ah, yeah. what's the word?
0: Community. <laughs> involvement, engagement,
1: yeah. involvement in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, I suppose what we're trying to do today is, so you know, if you are a subscriber, definitely think about renewing it. Definitely think about getting involved for another year. Mm. And if you aren't a subscriber, if you're kind of like, what is all this about? Throughout the show, we're going to kind of dapple little conversations mm. about, mm. you know, why be a subscriber? What's the benefits? All that sort of stuff, how to do it. Blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Yeah. I
0: mean, we were talking before about sort of Moments over the past few months or years that we've really, really remembered. Because like, mm. the thing that's great about, particularly with The Breakfast Show, is the amount of interviews and the huge range that we get. So we get a huge range of voices. And I was just, we were just sort of reflecting about some of the the stories that we've all really loved. Um, I was thinking back to an interview we did last year with Ashita Chatterjee about informal settlements and sort of breaking down the common narrative that's associated with mm-hmm. slums and favelas and informal settlements and sort of seen as these sort of very undesirable places to live. And mm. there are definitely health and sanitation issues, but there's a lot of really wonderful things going on that we should actually be mm. looking to.
1: Yeah, no, and I remember that interview because it was one of my favourite interviews, actually, as mm. well, from last year. I uh, I suppose at the moment it kind of really changed for me because one of the big things behind why I like 3CR is you really do get to hear the stories that are you, you, just not being broken anywhere else. Exactly. And one of the things that really epitomized this for me was back when I started in 2018, uh, one of my first interviews, I'd written, I'd read a paper on uh, modern slavery in Australia and mm-hmm. I was actually able to track down Project Futures, which is a New South Wales group, which helps uh, former former people who have been victims of modern slavery. Mm-hmm. And it was a insight to a story which we never hear. Mm and in in fact it took <laughs> took the mainstream media about six months later to finally catch on you that. know catch on to a recent development that had been happening in it, but it's just those sorts of as you as we're kind of showing it's those sorts of stories that you just don't hear mm. i mean
0: and very much connected to what's on the ground
1: and very much connected to what's on the ground. some other ones that have stood out for me is um you know I, i've I've talked to uh Matt Nurse, and he's talked about the perception of facts to be. Uh, proven to be viewed through political, um, personal political prisons. Mm. Like, that was a study he did. But the fact that we were able to kind of chat to him about it, hear this, and, and acknowledge that bias, talk about that journey that people take within, you know, forming political opinions, that's not something that commercial radio would give any time for.
0: Absolutely not. And, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think getting subscribed is really great Well, subscribing mm. is great because you also bring a voice you bring ideas mm. and we want to try and cover as such a wider range as possible so yes please subscribe you can do it online all the data is online mm. but speaking of that we've got a busy show to sh- we, should, we should keep going we, definitely yeah. keep going um <laughs> before we jump into our first interview we have a song it's called above the rain by jamie hutchings mm-hmm. listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, and that was Above the Rain by Jamie Hutchings. Up next, we have a recording from Over the Wall, which is another 3CR show, and they will be discussing with the National Security Rights Network how those affected by this season's bushfires are able to access government payments and social services. Let's have a listen.
3: Could you begin by introducing yourself and the organisation and the work you do?
4: So my name is Leanne Ho, I'm the Executive Officer of the National Social Security Rights Network. We're the peak organisation for community legal centres around the country. We provide free legal assistance to people having issues with Centrelink.
3: You've been doing some work in regards to Centrelink issues and the recent fires, what are some of the examples of people's experiences that you're hearing in the regions impacted by fire?
4: Well, I think we've all heard that the fires have been affecting whole communities and whole regions. But our experience in particular is with the people who are most vulnerable. And they're the ones who are hit hardest by the fires because they don't necessarily have the resources to escape or to find alternative accommodation. They might be sick or disabled and not well enough to get away. And the people who are most reliant on evacuation centres might be elderly residents of retirement homes They don't have family nearby and they're evacuated by the police, or single parents who don't have strong family networks and have all of their children that they need to look after. So it's really the most vulnerable in communities community who are hardest hit when a disaster like this happens.
3: I wonder what happens to people without savings, reserves and assets when they're required to evacuate?
4: Well, in the immediate term, there are charities and state governments are providing immediate emergency support, like providing vouchers for petrol or direct cash payments for groceries and canned food and even temporary accommodation. I wanted to stress that that is short-term support with the aim of trying to direct people to family and friends for longer-term support. And it doesn't extend any further than that.
3: And what are the difficulties in planning responses between the local, state and federal agencies? And I particularly ask this question as Centrelink is a, a federal responsibility.
4: Yeah, there are emergency response plans that provide mechanisms for local, state, and federal cooperation in this kind of emergency situation. And normally they work quite well. But the scale of the response that's been required because of the unprecedented nature of this fire disaster has made it much more difficult. Decisions have needed to be made really quickly in response to a constantly changing situation. So our experience with the government departments we have contact with is that they're trying really hard their best, doing their best to be responsive, but it's very difficult given the scale of the disaster.
3: Could you describe some of the difficulties that people have experienced in, in claiming disaster recovery payments?
4: Yeah, so the first thing is that it can be confusing to know what payments are available. There's this disaster recovery payment that many people will have heard about. Um, for people who've been significantly affected by the fires, and that's $1,000 per adult and $800 per child. And that's available to people who are currently on a Centrelink payment, but also those who aren't on a Centrelink payment. But then there are other payments that you can only get if you're not on a Centrelink payment. For example, Disaster Recovery Allowance people who've lost income as a result of the bushfires. And then there are payments you can only get if you are currently on a Centrelink payment, for example, crisis payment or urgent payment. So that can be quite confusing. And secondly, we've been hearing from people that they turn up to Centrelink once they've been able to get away from the immediate disaster and try to claim a payment but it's hard for them to gather the evidence they need. Um, For example, one family turned up after the house had burnt down and were told that they needed to provide photos of the destroyed property, which they couldn't access because all the roads to their property were closed. And that's obviously extremely distressing to people at a time that they're going through this significant trauma. So um, it's really important to know that Help is available and our members are community legal centres. They don't charge anything for their legal advice and people who are having problems accessing disaster recovery payments can call one of our centres for help. In Victoria, there's Social Security Rights Victoria and also the Barwon Community Legal Service.
3: And you've mentioned that people are obtaining payments in a different number of means, and some of the people are currently on Centrelink and other people obtaining payments who aren't receiving any current payments from Centrelink, but all payments are being processed through Centrelink, is that correct?
4: That's correct, yes. There are payments that are kind of administratively owned by different government departments, but Centrelink is um, the one-stop shop for actually making those payments. So adjustments are being made all the time. For example, the uh, disaster recovery payment for children was actually increased from the original amount of $400 per child to $800 per child. And the government also massively relaxed the income test for people accessing the disaster recovery allowance. Um, so that um, that change was actually made retrospectively to July 2019. Um, there was also a change um, to what needed to be destroyed or severely damaged to get the disaster recovery payments before the whole house had to be destroyed or severely damaged, but that's been adjusted um, since mid-January to include major assets worth at least $20,000. So, for example, a destroyed shed or a destroyed stock fence or water pump could enable people to access that payment. Again given how confusing all of these payments are we really encourage people to call our member centres if they have any difficulties with working out what they might be entitled to and also because the situation is so fluid and it's hard to keep up to date they can call and find out what the situation is now.
3: It must have been developed very rapidly and it seems the difficulty in this situation when We've got a disaster, and and then to develop something of great complexity as a model for people to try and understand.
4: Yeah, and I think making those decisions so quickly means that you're bolting on different types of payments or changes, rather than being able to design a coherent system.
3: Are the disaster recovery payments adequate for many people?
4: There are definitely calls for more to be done to help everyone affected by the fires. But as I mentioned earlier, it's really important to remember that the impact of the disaster is greatest on those who are most vulnerable, and they're the people who really need the most help. So, disaster recovery allowance is paid at the rate of missed out allowance or use allowance, depending on the recipient's age. This is really highlighting the fact that the rate of these payments is simply too low to live on, because it's people who don't currently receive a Centrelink payment, who are now suddenly reliant on this disaster recovery allowance and finding that it's just too low.
3: And also it's quite expensive for getting accommodation and food and other means when you're not in your usual routine, isn't it?
4: Yes, absolutely. So to establish a new safe space to live in actually ends up costing more than maintaining an ongoing living arrangement.
3: To give one specific example, what has the impact of the bushfires been on single mothers, for example, who are on Centrelink payments?
4: Yeah, so single mothers and their children um, are very vulnerable in this situation. As I mentioned earlier, they may not have the family or support network to find alternative accommodation to get back on their feet. Also many of them are required to participate in Parents Next. That's mm. the program which requires them to undertake activities in order to receive their income support payments, which they rely on to look after their children. There's actually a temporary freeze on all mutual obligations for participants in Parents Next, Job Act to Disability Employment Services and the Community Development Program, but that was only in place until the 19th of January. For fire affected areas, that's actually been exempted till the 6th of March, but we're still hearing widespread reports of just confusion about who is exempted and who isn't, um, and not knowing whether people would still need to complete their job searches for the month. Um, whether or not they're in a fire-affected area. So it really highlights that the system needs to have procedures in place for times of a disaster. Flexibility. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, flexibility and taking into account what people's situation is and how appropriate it is to ask them to fulfil obligations during these times of disaster.
3: Yes, because as many people would be aware, one of the very difficult obligations with parents next is people also need to be in a certain location at a certain time and and if they're evacuating, obviously they can't be there.
4: Mm, That's right.
3: Um, How how are people on the cashless debit card, have you heard um, in those regions where the in-due cashless debit card's already been rolled out, been affected by the bushfires? Because I imagine having a a lack of um, access sometimes to cash in a crisis would be difficult.
4: Yeah, so a good example of the limitations of the cashless debit card was seen in Seduna, which is one of the cashless debit card trial signs. And there was a power outage on New Year's Eve which left 25,000 people without power, so they weren't able to use any cards. There's actually a hotline that people on the cashless debit card can call. It's actually the same Department of Social Services number that people on the cashless debit card normally call. Um, So what the department has told us is that they're deciding on a case-by-case basis whether they're going to grant access to cash funds and how much, depending on what evidence people provide of how they've been affected by the fires. So it's definitely worth people in a situation who need access to their cash. contact the department and explain what their situation is and provide any evidence they can of why they need access to their money. Again, with any of these issues that we've discussed today, we encourage people to call one of our member centres in their local area to get help with how to tackle these issues. For anyone listening, NSSRN org.au services, which will give you a list of the contact details for all of our members around the country, dot dot
3: Well, Thank you very much, Leanne, for speaking on 3CR Community Radio and over the wall today, and we hope to speak to you again in the future.
4: Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: You listen to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, and that was Over the Wall, another 3CR program talking about with the how to access government payments and social services, speaking with the National Security Rights Network. Before our next interview, we've got another song called Johnny Joe by St. Hill. Listen to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, and it's coming up to 7.30. We're just listening to Johnny Joe by St. Hill. Um, so up next, we've got our next interview. So Crystal Denapoli is a Kulamuluroi Coulomb, um, astrophysics student at Monash University who's been researched in the ways in which the love of her culture and her passion for science intersect. Crystal delivers public talks on the topic of Indigenous astronomy, presenting the knowledge which describes the intricate, complex understanding First Nations people have of the night sky and its objects. Crystal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, So I wanted to ask, where did your relationship with Indigenous astronomy stem from?
5: So, um... Well, first and foremost, um, I do have the interest of being an Indigenous woman, um, but it all did start with my, uh, I guess, my enthusiasm for space. Um, so in my high school, I was really good at maths, um, was the topic I enjoyed the most, and um, I ha- used to try and think about like how I could apply that one day, because mm. I'm like, what? how do people who do <laughs> maths get jobs? <laughs> what do those jobs look like? Um, And it was when I moved to university, because I'd realised I'd always had this burning curiosity about the skies. Um, Grew up in a country town. We get a very good view of it. Mm. So, yeah, um, sort of started with astrophysics at university, and it was actually after starting to study there that I found out about the link between indigenous culture and knowledge systems and um, the skies, which seems pretty obvious in retrospect. Mm. Um, But it was something that I wasn't taught specifically, um, and it seems to be something that's not... Not the most... As common knowledge as it should be, in my opinion. Mm.
0: And, I mean, through all the work and the research that you're doing, what have you found in terms of how Indigenous astronomy helps sort of structure and guide communities?
5: Well, um, I guess, like, a a fundamental concept when it comes to, um, I guess, like, Indigenous culture is this idea of, you know, interconnectedness, everything's, like, holistic. Um, And so a lot of the information can be like that you need on the ground can actually be found in the skies. So a lot of these um, stories which detail the science about whatever's happening um, in astronomy over the last tens of thousands of years also will tell you quite a lot of, that you need to know about your community. So a lot of history lies in the stars, where the stars are used as reference points for important people or um, stories from their uh, histories or um, even just uh, knowing important things about your landscape. So there's stories specific to different communities which are related to stars, which will tell the communities a bit about how their environment's going to change throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And so this can relate to their food sources and water sources, and that information, once again, is lying in the stars for them.
0: Mm. And I guess this is a way of sort of encoding scientific information into the knowledge systems that Aboriginal communities have.
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, So it's a very interesting um, way of being able to pass along information. Mm. Um, And it's something that looks quite different to, in a way, to people in like a Western society, which is, I think, why it's a little bit hard to understand um, at first. But, yeah, with an oral-based culture, um, you have vast wealths of knowledge that you need to be able to encode in some format to be able to pass along Um, And it's hard for us to imagine, right, without a book, like, how Mm. is that possible? Mm. Um, But you can really take, uh, I guess, like, advantage of the human brain's capacity to memorise, which is just incredible. Um, Mm. And also, like, shout out, because there's a book called The Memory Craft by (laughs) Lynn Kelly, which goes into incredible detail about that topic. Um, But so what they do, essentially, is um, an easy way to remember a certain idea or concept is to put it into a a format that we understand and something that's easy to make others understand and to pass along. And so I use the example of if you want to talk about the sun and the moon and you want to talk about the way that they move throughout the year, a good way to represent that is actually to tell a story about a man and a woman, so a sun woman and a moon man. And you can talk about the dynamic between them, um, so whatever movement it is that you're trying to explain, you can represent in some sort of relationship or interaction between those two people. Hmm. And so this becomes a story. And these stories um, you can tell at a, you know, different layers of complexity, something mm. sort of simple that kids can grab that you know, general idea of or something that we can really break down with specific descriptions of those interactions, whether it's a dance or some sort of movement. Um, and so these stories, they're easier for us to remember. And it's something that it's sort of hard to misconstrue as well. Mm. And so this is the way that you can pass, encode that information into a different format and then be able to pass that along for generations with more storytellers.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And I imagine this has been going down for hundreds or thousands of generations. Oh, definitely. Like
5: it's incredible how um we can use uh, a lot of the information in these stories. And so stories that are still living and stories that we have record of from times of colonization, from a lot of the explorers or invaders. How do you want to phrase it? Um they uh it's it's um just lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, that's no, okay. Are <laughs> um, there any
0: particular yeah. stories that you particularly remember, or you, um, you find really
5: fascinating? Yeah, and sorry, and that and that was my point. It's just the um the, the way that we can use that information actually to uh date deta- uh, to date these stories back. Mm. So we have geological descriptions and astronomical descriptions, which we can use to pinpoint certain points where these events would have occurred. Right. And so that's how we get those time scales mm. of tens to um hundreds to thousands of years. Mm. Um, so I ha- do have some favorites. Um. A lot of them come down to, I'm, yeah, I, I love when we start to discuss variable stars. So these are stars that change in their brightness over time. I think there's such a beautiful way of being able to represent the way that these ch- stars are changing by using this narrative structure. Um, and so there's a Kakatha story which um, actually covers o- the constellation like Orion, so Naruna for their group, as well as um, the Pleiades, which is I think I'm really bad with pronouncing the word, but I think it's like Eurekaelia mm-hmm. sisters. Um, and then a pretty key star, Gambaguda And it just it talks about this interaction between those groups of stars, which does pop up in different groups around the world because of the way these stars are grouped. Um, but it's really interesting. They use this concept of fire magic um, to sort of symbolise that sort of when they can summon the magic and when the magic dissipates to describe when that star is you know, becoming dimmer or brighter again. Mm. And it's exciting because it's quite topical at the moment. Um, Betelgeuse is one of those stars within Orion that is variable, that is described in that Kakatha story, and currently is going into a dimming period, which has everyone hmm. well, okay. <laughs> everyone in the astronomy field a little excited. <laughs> so how
0: long are these kind of periods when it's sort of dimming or it's becoming brighter? Like, yeah. What kind of timescale are we looking at?
5: So um, it definitely varies, but you can have it between just a few days to years at a time. Okay. So Betelgeuse is on the scale of years. Yeah. Um, And as well, the other star that's included in that is a star called Aldebaran, um, which is within the Gambaguda figure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for Beetlejuice, it's a much more consistent um, dimming over time. Um, Gambaguda, it's much more Mm regular. And so that's when it's exciting as well, because it's where these stories are described in such a way that we get that from the way those characters are interacting. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why is this Gambaguda's fire magic? Why is that so unreliable in this story? Mm -hmm. And when you actually look at the light curves of these objects, it it lines up perfectly with that irregular, hard-to-predict sort of nature.
0: Fascinating. That's great. And is there, in addition to, to, to what you're speaking about then, is there any other part of Indigenous astronomy that you'd like to research more into?
5: Yeah, so um, it is it is on the similar topic. Um, so I am working on um, a bit of research at the moment, looking at the Seven Sisters um, in Indigenous uh, oral traditions because of the way that they are described, because we have a similar uh, theme popping up in the way that we have, um, you know, one of the sisters who is constantly described not just in Australia but different indigenous groups around the world and their traditions as well described to be uh, you know dimming in some sort of a way so you know whether that younger sister is hurt or kidnapped and returned or any sort of thing that's befalling her and it's really interesting that that's a common theme Um, and when looking at a first glance at uh, the Pleiades, we do find that you know there is a variable nature to the stars mm. um, and so that's one thing I need to investigate further to see, is that a likely explanation or is there some other property of the stars that could account for why this is such a common description. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'm excited about but I know there's other topics which do, like I am I'm so pumped to see how that <laughs> research heads um, which are using things like, because there's so many stories over time which would um, link up animal behaviour to the stars mm-hmm. um, which is a really great way of being able to essentially like forecast or use as a calendar to sort of predict what's going to happen in your environment, mm. so figure out what's going to happen with those animals. And what's interesting is quite a lot of these calendars um, are no longer as accurate, which, um, which is worth investigating, mm. which I know people are, because it's, it's like, can we tell or see the effects of climate change yeah. through Aboriginal astro- astronomical traditions? So there's yeah, different areas where it's...
0: And I guess that's kind of interesting, the way that climate change can affect these these sort of stories that have been passed on for, you know, hundreds of thousands of generations, Mm -hmm. how they're now starting to be very much influenced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, how would you say that sort of a better understanding of Indigenous astronomy can help us sort of start to shape our connection with the landscape today, particularly in the context of changing climate?
5: Yeah, well, I think there's um, a lot of lessons to learn. So one of the things, especially um, at least with like the the nation of Australia being relatively young, but this land being inhabited for just a crazy timescale, there's so much information about what's actually happened on this land that we don't have access to. But the thing is, we definitely do just as long as we're actually listening to these stories, because a lot of these stories can describe events that have happened over these hundreds to thousands of years ago. And a lot of them is like geological events as well. So we have descriptions of, you know, last sort of like Ice Age areas, like, you know, 13,000 years ago when Tasmania was last connected, when volcanic eruptions have occurred, um, when meteorite impacts have occurred. So it's a lot of information we can grab from a historical Mm -hmm. standpoint. Um, But as well, it helps us sort of predict for the future. So a very, uh, I guess, like topical point is... um, fire safety with mm. bushfires um from what i've learnt at least from the things that i've read uh bushfires before the 1800s were not common and you can see that by actually okay. looking at the trees themselves mm. um and apparently a lot of this comes down to those burning off methods and practices which are just fascinating as well by mm. the way just specific geometrical patterns that they had for knowing when to burn off and how many years between for which areas yeah, wow. and how that would keep mm. a cycle of you know um, available mm-hmm. growth, um, mm-hmm. but making sure everything remains safe. And I, I think they're incredible practices, and ver- they've been developed very specifically for these lands. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this is the sort of information that where Indigenous astronomy can really help us, engaging with those, um, yeah, those uh, uh, knowledge holders because it's stuff that could really benefit us, benefit us currently in these sort of dire times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mm. and
0: really understanding, like, what the landscape is telling us. Yeah. Yeah, really it, re- understanding it.
5: Definitely, and especially when it's coming back to those, like, um, the the changing in, like, animal behaviours, those calendars and everything, it can really show you just... Yeah, I, I essentially, like I guess, like the trend that we're heading in and perhaps make us think about what we can do to sort of fix that, knowing that natural balance that we've had before. And
0: mm. Mm. I guess on that point, how can we share this knowledge with the broader Australian community?
5: Yeah, so um, the first place I would recommend to go is we have a website. Um, so we have uh, www.aboriginalastronomy.com.au um, and that's just got um, pretty much any bit of information that we've, any other research has done over the years, it's all been chucked up there. Elders profiles, you can search up information based on group if you're interested specifically in Gamilaroi or Wurundjeri, hmm. um, or instead if you were interested in specifically learning more about stars or learning more about animals or comets or anything like this, you can click via those content as well. Um, and then we also try and do as much community engagement as we possibly can. Um, so I know there's a lot of elders working this space who um, speak quite often. I know Uncle Wayne Thorpe, um, who is a semi local elder um <laughs> out in the sort of like gippsland um area, but he is an amazing uh, astronomer communicator um so there's quite a lot of events like that going on as well, so mm. for example, like this weekend's M pavilion mm. talk that I did as well, trying to just engage <laughs> with as many people as we can so keep yeah keep your eyes out we have socials um and the website and
0: yeah, absolutely. And if we see any events, we'll definitely give them a plug on the uh, show. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Crystal. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Rob. <laughs> um, so we're just speaking with Crystal, who's a Kamilar Roy astrophysics student at Monash University. Coming up next, we have many more interviews, but we're just going to play another song called Stargazer by Mamu Kuzon.
1: Gecko is an independent grassroots environment organisation based in East Gippsland that has campaigned to protect the remaining forests of the region since 1993. Goongra Survives is a film fundraiser with all funds raised going to Gecko to survey fire-affected areas for ongoing forest conservation. Goongra Survives, Café Gummo, 711 High Street, Thornbury, Sunday the 16th of February from 6pm. $10 unwaged. waged and $20 solidarity. For more information head to GoongraSurvives.net a 3CR supporter. tree project are a melbourne-based organization that have been replanting indigenous trees in victoria for 30 years now and we need your help you can become a tree project member a seedling grower in your own backyard or organize your friends to do a planting day if you're a landholder in rural victoria and would like to restore habitat on your land tree project is keen to help out we also offer sponsorship opportunities and take work teams for a planting day visit treeproject.org.au to learn more a 3cr supporter
6: The Celtic Folk Show is moving to a new time slot, so tune in every Tuesday at 3pm, starting on Feb 18th.
1: Imagine if students all across Australia started to
6: call for their schools to declare a climate emergency. That's what some of the biggest names in the youth climate movement are now striving to achieve. Join the National Climate Emergency Summit for a student workshop facilitated by some of Australia's leading young strategists as they help students create a roadmap for getting schools to declare a climate emergency and advance serious action on climate. Friday the 14th of February at 2pm. Go to climateemergencysummit.org for more information.
5: A 3CR supporter we
6: Wear your radical radio colors in one of 3CR's new t-shirts. The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Aisha
1: Tufa.
3: T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage. So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy.
1: Call 9419
3: 8377 to place your order or buy one online at 3cr.org.au/shop.
1: 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts. Get, Get one, one now. <laughs> And you're listening to 3CR. Um, So just kind of touching on that, first off, from experience, those shirts are absolutely amazing. Um, I've been walking around the station kind of eyeing one off, and (laughs) as soon as I have a paycheck that can support it, I will be buying and picking one up, and I definitely suggest at least come and check out the designs, which are all across our website. But right now, I thought I'd give a little bit more information about uh, the subscriber drive and what's going on with that. So as I said before, Subscriber Drive is something that we have once a year from the 10th to 16th of February, and it's basically to encourage uh, those of you who do have already a subscription to renew your subscription and continue listening and engaging with 3CR, and for newbies if you haven't had a subscription before or if you're kind of wondering what are the perks of it, um, yeah, kind of giving a bit more information. So. I suppose that a subscription to the station allows you to become great, have greater involvement with uh, the topics and issues that we discuss. And as a, a subscriber myself, starting off in uh, 2018, uh, the, it's been a wonderful way of getting more involved with the station, learning more about issues that I had no clue about before, and getting to hear coverage that I just do not get to hear anywhere else. I mean... Um, stuff like regular broadcasts from like Invasion Day Rally International Women's Day Rally May Day the Beyond the Bars uh, live prison broadcasts that we have every year these are issues and events that you just don't hear on commercial radio And one of the benefits of becoming a subscriber and supporting such media content is the fact that we give a very clear message that we want to be hearing these different perspectives, these grassroots and community perspectives, and helping to give each other a leg up and voices. I mean, with the interviews that we are lucky enough to have on Breakfast Radio every week, All presenters on Wednesday breakfast count themselves very lucky in the fact that we are able to engage with community advocates, community voices, and hear the topics that are just drowned out by the monocracy. I would definitely suggest uh, subscribing, getting involved. I can give you the kind of greater details now. For a subscription is currently $35 for a concession or pension. It is $75 for a waged and it is $150 uh, for a solidarity subscription. So solidarity subscriptions are if you feel like you want to give a little bit more. $75 is obviously if you are currently in a comfortable uh, wage bracket where you feel that you can give that. And $35 is if you are a concession, uh, so a student or etc. any other reason, or a pensioner. And another thing to be reminded with, with this kind of cost is 3CR is very flexible with the way that it deals with cost so it's not a it's not the end or nothing if you can't pay that if you do want to subscribe you do want to get involved but can't pay that currently that is no that's no skin off um nose but it is a conversation with 3CR so the ways you can get involved with subscribing is you can can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au slash subscribe or you can give our station a call on 94198377 so that's 94198377 one nine eight three double seven and we really do rely on these subscriptions to keep going with our content i mean if we don't have any community voices and engagement how do we put stuff to air so it really is about kind of uh, i wouldn't say giving back to this to the station because that's a very transactional one-way thing but i would say it's that ongoing relationship that we are trying to build with community involve community you know support issues like um, the IMARC protests or the students' r- climate change protests or different international struggles like uh, Fight for West Papua independence. And things like those issues are core values of 3CR and is something that, I don't know, I think is <laughs> very well worth um, supporting. So th- that's kind of my plug for Subscription Drive, I suppose, being coming becoming a subscriber means that you get you know a little package in the mail with our three CR guide and you get to have updates on how we run this station, what our kind of senior authority is, what decisions we're making. But it also really gives you the ability to call into the station and say, hey, why aren't we hearing about this issue? Why are we not covering this issue? Why are we not covering this issue in this way? And it is fed directly back into the volunteers and worker force, and we are able to think better on how we continue to provide you with community information, which is, I have to say, as a journalist, media student, extraordinarily exciting because you don't see any other media outlet providing such a consistent and available or accessible kind of feedback loop with their audience. Really, we are comprised of our audience. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my plug for Subscription Drive. I think it's been a wonderful experience for me. I've really been able to get involved with 3CR events, 3CR shows, 3CR, yeah, live broadcasts especially. Um, and yeah, it's just a wonderful way to get involved. So that's going to be kind of <laughs> my 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 little plug for it. Um, as I said, I'll just read out those numbers again. Just if you are interested in getting involved, you can find more information at 3cr.org.au/slash-subscribe, or you can call a station on nine four one nine eight three double seven. And if you're not sure, if if you are, you know, going oh, I can't really support that cost. I I I don't really yeah, I can't really support that cost right now. Or you're kind of like oh. Why should I do this? Or maybe why should I get involved? Or even, you know, thinking about maybe getting somebody else potentially involved. I'd just come down to our studio. It's in 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy. Uh, we're open from nine till five. And if, if you come in the studio, and say, look, I'm thinking about the subscription. Why should I do it? Why is it good? We'll have definitely someone available to have a chat with you, show us around the station, show us, show you what we're doing here. Because, I mean, nowhere else Nowhere else in Australian media do you hear some of the issues and some of the voices that you hear on 3CR, some of the shows. I mean, we have shows entirely in language. We have a lot of First Nation shows. We have live broadcasts with which with events that don't get covered until, as I said before, maybe six months or st- even 12 months later in the mainstream media. I mean, we were one of the first stations to cover, for example, like the Jabwarong Tree Embassy, and that's not a bragging on the three c r stations right, that is a active recognition that we are supporting community where it crops up, and we 're not looking for the flashy or the sensationalist news like a lot of mainstream commercial we 're not looking for the sound bites we 're looking for authentic community voices and connection and it 's just it 's so exciting as a presenter and as a volunteer who gets up every week of my own volition to come out and kind of sit in front of a microphone and talk to potentially no one. <laughs> But it's so rewarding in the fact that I've just had so many experiences and met and talked to so many people. And all the feedback that I've received from friends, family, and the wider community has helped me improve with who I go and talk to and what issues we are talking about. So definitely, definitely get involved. I mean, we want to know what you want to hear and what you're interested in so we can find that out and we can give you that representation and we can... Contribute to our information and our informed understanding of the world that surrounds us. With that huge spiel in mind, I'm going to chuck us to a song so we can have a break from my plugs. And uh, we we had Stargazer by Marmo before, which is kind of cool. But now we're going to have Apologize by the um, Electric Emu Feathers, or I believe they're Emu Feathers, but it's called Elect in brackets. So maybe that's a clue to the song. We shall find out. <laughs> said you Up to 802. As I said, that was apologised by Emu Feathers and was pretty sick. Um, next, we have the latest installment in an ongoing global story, which is the imperialism and ecocide of mining companies in indigenous lands. I mean, lists of, infe- of offenders include the Grassberg Mine in West Papua, Rio Tinto. Oceania Gold in the Philippines, and most importantly to all of us, all mining industry in Australia that perpetuates colonisation on our first peoples. And I reference all of those as a prefix to this conversation because I think it helps exemplify the long legs and consequences of mining. This is not just one mining company in one country, this is the overwhelming majority. And with that, it's not negligence or ignorance in these practices, it is deliberate, calculating and a violent business model. So with that in mind, today we're going to delve further into the gold mining company Sol Gold and its presence in Ecuador. Following the story, we have Rebecca from the Rainforest Action Group. Good morning, Re- Rebecca. Hi. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> no problem. My pleasure. Um, Rebecca, as a prefix to this interview, can you outline what concessions are in regards to um, mining corporations within countries? Okay, so
6: concessions basically allow these mining companies to go onto a site. That land might actually be owned by mm-hmm. other people, it might be indigenous territories, and then it gives them permission to mine in that area, essentially.
1: Excellent. And so, so, Gold is active currently in Ecuador but recently has been pushing further and further outside its agreed-upon concessions and territories, uh, reaching territory that overlaps on borders uh, held, as you said, by the Indigenous Aowa Federation. Um, Could you kind of tell us a little bit about what damage has kind of already been done or what's currently happening and what this further kind of pushing into new territory means?
6: Okay, so um, it's uh, essentially the um, Ecuadorian government sold off a whole lot of land as mining concessions without the consent or even the knowledge of people on those lands. So mm-hmm. sometimes the first thing I've heard about it is when they actually have uh, representatives from Soul Gold, you know, mm-hmm. or one of the other mining companies rocking up and wanting to explore. So, um, um, and the... I mean, there's a significant proportion of um, in the territories. Territory. So it's right up in Colombia. Mm-hmm. So um, quite a lot of um, uh, their land originally. About um, 40% of their lands is covered with mining concessions. Now that's down to six percent or sorry, Six or seven percent. So Australian uh, Soul Gold has got um, uh, quite a few concessions, as well as a Canadian um, and uh, state-owned mining company. So and uh, and so. And what we're seeing all over Ecuador is communities and um, other groups rising up and basically saying, um, we did not consent to this, we do not Mm. want this, Um, these companies are coming in without our permission and we just want them out, you know. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And so Soul Gold alongside, um, I believe it's Enami's, E-N-A-M-I. Yeah, Enami, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, another group, yeah.
6: Yeah, so Nami is a state owned um Ecuadorian mining company, but mm-hmm. it's actually got a, a joint sort of um relationship with Cornerstone um resources, which is a Canadian company. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, so they kind of work together. Mm-hmm. Um they sort of use the technology from the Canadian company. And so a lot of you know, there's a lot of reserves. Actually the Anami there's quite a few really um uh, quite famous reserves, including mm. uh, that 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 they cover, and so that's one of our big you know concerns. I mean, this whole area is a really incredibly rich, biodiverse area, mm. and then also the headwaters of all these rivers, and that's this yeah. you know this unfathomable thing. You think how can how can you even sort of
1: you know be thinking of mining in such mm. a well, Important I've, area. I've got the um, statistic here of uh, their concessions covering more than ninety percent of uh, protected forests and forming, of as you said, headways of five different rivers. That mm-hmm. obviously has a massive effect on the local community and their access to their land resources and lively lives.
6: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's the uh, Anami concessions, mm-hmm. and you know, got is the one that covers the uh, Los Gan um, Gon- Mm. <laughs> too related. <early> to say <laughs> um, lost uh the yes uh, protective forest mm. so but uh, soul gold actually also over- overlaps that as well right and and yeah and um and soul gold's interesting in that um so they're an exploration company primarily they haven't mm. actually had a mine, and in australia they were, um Nick Mather, who's the CEO, actually did was one of the ones who actually discovered the coal in the Galilee Basin and then sold that off. So what he kind of has done is actually, yeah, is exploring in all of these places, discovering the minerals and Mm -hmm. then selling them off. But in Ecuador, they've decided, you know, look, we're going to try and, you know, join the big boys and um, yeah. get our own mines. And this particular area um, that we're talking about, which is the Alchi um Concession, Solgold's Al Chikal Concession, mm-hmm. you know, they found a whole lot of copper and gold uh, deposits there last year, so they're pretty keen to get a mine in there. Right. But um, there's really limited access mm. and... Uh, a lot of the communities sort
1: of block the roads because they just don't want to have... Yeah, so um, so sorry to interrupt, but touching on this response mm. from the local AOL community, uh, most recently mm. the protests uh, involved community members barricading a bridge. Uh, could you kind of give us the, the breakdown of the significance of this and how they've been, how community has come together to kind of push back against this upheaval and displacement? Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, so um, it's been a continual sort of process mm-hmm. of resistance. You know, from the beginning where they've tried to have negotiations, they've tried to have, you know, talks with the mining companies and mm-hmm. that's met with resistance or denial. And then it's it's just sort of been heating up. And and and, and in a lot of these areas, you know, there's only one road. So blocking that road is a really simple, easy way of mm-hmm. stopping those communities from getting in. Because when they go in and they explore, they they just make a mess of the forest mm. you know there there's a lot of poisoning of the river that can happen mm. when they're sort of doing their initial testing and so um, the, so these are uh, these communities um have been initially they've probably been fighting this all about a bit more and more what they're doing is they're actually linking in with um other groups throughout the whole province who are actually also fighting and then they're realising this is a much bigger issue. Mm. Um, what can we do together? And, and then they're sort of having these big votes. So the IWA Federation, it actually covers quite a, a big area along the border between uh, Colombia and um, and Ecuador. And, and they recently came together and, again, sort of um, voted that they don't want mining, mm. that they're going to fight that all the way and... Um, yeah, so it's a pretty powerful. Then from that point, they can all go off onto their individual communities and continue to
1: fight. Absolutely, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up actually, because it's like if the Ecuadorian government's been quite tight-lipped about you know details around this and and haven't been providing information to the community, um, but we have seen kind of policy around limiting concession abilities, and as you said, we've seen this really big, this really strong from the sounds of it, grassroots activism or collection. Do you think we have much? Uh, there's much hope in uh, the op- opposition kind of regulating of Soul Gold and kind of you know its associated partners.
6: Yeah, well, actually, there's been a few cases um, that have gone to court. So last year uh, and the year before, there was actually has been some significant wins. So um, it pretty much, there's been uh, on, on the whole a lot of the time when it's gone to court, uh, the communities have actually have actually won. Mm-hmm. They actually managed to get a Chinese owned mine Rio Blanco shut down I think uh, last year. Mm. Um there's been there was a massive um win by the Wayorani tribe but mm-hmm. that was for oil concessions and that was saying essentially saying that is on in sorry, unconstitutional mm. to um to explore an area when they didn't agree to it. And so what makes it uh so um I guess you know such a strong legal backing for the community is that mm. in Ecuador they have this thing called the Rights of nature in their constitution, and they have ours which basically gives um, uh, rights you know to to forests and to uh, you know that, that, that they have the same rights as a person, but also it gives indigenous tribes and other communities. Um, more constitutional rights um, to say um, if they haven't been consulted. And so a lot of these cases have actually been won because um, they can prove that they have, there's been no consultation process that's gone on. Mm. And so um, if this, for example, with Sogold or some of these other ones, if they actually get that to court, it's, it's probably quite likely that they would win.
1: Right. And how yeah. do I suppose how do we support it from here? I mean, the REN... Forest Action Group's been doing some wonderful work in kind of reporting, and that's how we picked up this story at 3CR. But how do we... Do you you think there's um, capacity for us here in Australia to kind of lend support?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the big things we're trying to do is um, help to support legal campaigns. Right, um, Help to support communities to come together and sort of... um, and fight this, you know... um, just through, you know, simple things like helping to kind of, uh, because everyone's so sort of spread out, so if we can yeah. help to get, pay for transport and things like that for people to get to meetings and just and so some of those big things, essentially yeah. facilitating that. So that's been, uh, actually had quite a powerful effect. Um And so we're just, we always... Do ongoing fundraising, uh, that sort of thing, on the through the Rainforest Information Centre, which is our umbrella organisation. They mm-hmm. have um, the Ecuador Endangered campaign, and all the funds from that um, will go on to lit some of these um, fights, legal fights, and um, community building uh, campaigns that we have going there. So.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for for coming on and giving that show. We'll put uh, links to your website in our rundown, which is accessible to all listeners on uh, the 3CR website. But, yeah, thank you for coming on and bringing up uh, this story. I think it's important for us to follow. Thank you so much. No problem. you're listening to 3CR, it's 8.24. Sorry about that little bit of a technical mix-up with the starting of Stick Together a little bit prematurely. Um, unfortunately, we've been trying to call uh, our last guest, Javin Johnson, but we haven't been able to get on to him. So I, I just thought I'd give you a few... Um, just links or names to kind of look up in his area, I definitely suggest checking him out. Uh, So he is an American spoken word poet, writer, and professor. His recent piece, which is what I kind of wanted to get on today, was called A Story of My Mother's Hands, Black Joy as Theory and Method. And within it, he kind of details uh, this idea he has created of the construction of joy as an emotion and feeling and a form of activism or protest against... Um, against kind of this white supremacist state that we see inflicted in America as well as in Australia. So it's it's a very fascinating piece of work, and Javon was just amazing to listen to. So I definitely suggest that you Google his name, have a look up. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. His name is spelled J-A-V-O-N um and yeah that's that that would be kind of the wrap up of that interview which is a shame i'm a little bit disappointed that we can't get onto him but ah uh, well these things happen so i suppose i'll start to wrap up the show kind of here another kind of plug for subscriber drive so I, I know i've been prattling on about this throughout the session and i've given it its fair airtime but i just wanted to give one last kind of hurrah to why why subscribe? Why get involved? Why go out of your way to to do this? Uh, I suppose the biggest thing for me is Community Radio really provides a vital space for us to communicate and organize together, free from vested corporate interest and profit motive. When you hear community service announcements on this show, like the ones I've been playing today, they are community service and grassroots organizations. They're not commercial Frank from Frank National Tiles. They are services in your area that are there to support you or help or get involved with their fundraisers their events their information sessions so that's what one thing is where we are separate from corporate independent corporate control we are independent and proudly so and one of the things that keeps us independent is subscriptions is radiothon because it allows us to continue to remain community members not workers not corporate and continue to feed back into that sort of shared interests and yeah that sort of thing Uh, another point i would make with the idea of subscription is we do create broadcasts that you hear nowhere else i mean to quote one of my favorites beyond the bars live prison broadcast is such a special event because it's something you hear nowhere else and those voices are completely marginalized silenced, and systemically removed from our context media context uh, we cover things like Jaburung uh, Tree Embassy, Invasion Day Rally, May Day, International Women's Day Rally. Uh, we cover protests and events happening around progressive kind of thinkers and policies and movements in our country. And that is fantastic media, first off. It's, it's wonderful to have those voices out there, but it's also done by volunteers and can cause a lot of time and resources. And whilst a lot of us volunteers are very happy to do it, we do sustain, you know, activism, exhaustion and stuff like that. And it's subscription drives and getting more people involved in the station, more volunteers, more ideas, more conversations happening, helps us to share that load and kind of uh, continue to provide these sorts of the, – the, these amazing programs that you just don't hear anywhere anywhere else. And for a lot of the volunteers that come in here, it really is the fact that we are able to continue our support from the station because of subscribers and, you know, donations and things like that. We are able to continue our programs and continue coming in because it it is a bit of a chunk out of our daily lives to continue these stories, but we're passionate enough to want to do it. And it's through subscriptions and Radiothon that we're able to have the resources to do it. So, I mean, as a young person, uh, especially what 3CR has done for me in the way of providing me with information about the climate crisis, about First Nations issues that we all need to be engaged in, about women's issues especially, that's one of of my massive interest points. And I'm sure (laughs) the list could go on and it could for you too. Um, But one of the reasons why I'm so invested in 3CR is it's so invested in me. And that is why I take the time out of my way to try and save up for that subscription, organise that subscription and then pay it on time. So I definitely suggest if you do have a subscription, please think about it and consider renewing it this year and getting remaining involved with our station. We know we always appreciate your feedback and your participation and participation is such a, you know, first grader sort of term, you know, a participation award. No. We in we appreciate you being here and present in this space with us and working in the space to bring good information that we need in this society to be able to challenge the dominant narrative which is trotting us underfoot. So a quick reminder that concessions are thirty five (laughs) sorry my apologies. That um subscriptions are thirty five dollars for concessions or pensioners, seventy five dollars for waged and one hundred and fifty dollars for solidarity or band or organization. Those um Kind of pay schemes are negotiable. We're not pressuring anyone into paying up front or anything like that. If you feel like you really want to subscribe but you can't do it immediately, give us a call. Let us know. We can help out. Um, we can help get you involved and yeah, work on your own capacity and all those sorts of things. And talking of which, giving our call station sorry our station a call, it's nine four one nine eight three double seven. That's 94198377. That's a great number to call to find out more about subscriptions or if you do want to subscribe uh, to get involved. And the other final one I'll shout out is 3cr.org.au slash subscribe. That's also a great place for information for any of the wonderful shows that we host here on our airwaves. And, yeah, definitely definitely go into your Wednesday, have a think about it. Have a think who else in your immediate friendship family group might benefit from listening to 3CR might benefit thrive or just enjoy some alternative radio and with that we will try playing stick together again (laughs) this time not prematurely but actually on time which is lovely all right I'll just put that on now and see you next Wednesday 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the new international bookshop Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue for their financial support of this program You can find NIBS in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.